Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, another uh, outtake episode. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Everdeck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. This is uh, the last part of the interview for today's collector that Jeremy Lee was conducting with a number of collectors in uh, leading up to the Mint Collective, another 10 minutes or so, that I thought would be interesting and has a little bit to do with, as I said, my collecting journey, but he gets into some different strategies of how to collect and all that. You just have to listen to his whole particular interview on the, the YouTube channel that uh, Mint Collective has, and I recommend that as well as the others. But thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Ezra Levine and the collectible team and all those who put together the uh, Mint Collective. Again, you should go there, see the whole thing. But uh, this is just a little bit of me that I am putting out there. I hope you enjoy Jeremy's questions and my answers. And I'll be back again tomorrow. Actually, I had another thought when uh, Jeremy was asking me these questions. I was thinking today's collector does frequently uh, sell things in order to buy things. And I thought, I've never done that. Uh, I just uh, buy. In fact, I define being a collector as somebody that doesn't really like to sell. I don't really like to sell. Selling is a necessary thing. But then wait a minute. If I don't need to sell in order to buy, then why is it necessary to sell (laughs) other than space considerations? I have too many cars. I don't have enough room. uh, And I've always thought of it that way, that I'm I'm just selling in order to clear up space instead of trading up, which the modern uh, collector seems to do a lot. I actually did that. Back in the day, I'd buy a big collection and I certainly didn't keep it all, but I kept the better stuff and I kept the stuff that I needed for my collection and built my collection pretty aggressively. And so to sell in order to buy, I've done that. And so I can't look down my nose at people. Now they're doing that. I guess what uh, stands out is that uh, sometimes people selling in order to buy, they're selling some really good stuff in order to buy some even better stuff. I didn't think of myself doing that, but I guess in in my own sense, I did that. Uh, There's a self-sustainability I've always thought about it in the industry. And if if that's going to be the case, you're going to wind up selling a little bit unless you have a lot of extra money to spend every month on cards. Thanks, Jeremy, for provoking that kind of thinking in me and uh, drawing out some good uh, Q&A. I was thinking when you were asking about this, back in the day, did I have the 100th best collection in the world? Did I have the 1,000th best collection in the world? Probably something in between. When I went to these card shows... Every dealer was a collector, too, and had all those same sets. But they didn't have all the regionals. They didn't have all the T206s and the Wagners and all that. And so the pecking order, even then, was about quality more so than quantity. Nobody cared whether you had 10,000 cards or 100,000 cards. They wanted to know what your best cards were. And they wanted to see them, even if they weren't for sale. Yeah. Okay. It's an interesting sort of history lesson, how the hobby was back in those early there's days. Parallels. And, there's some parallels. And this is before you even started the Beckett magazines, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So we're going back to the 70s and really early 80s there. My most aggressive buying decade was the 70s because that was before I did all this other price guides. That's awesome. Again, speaking about people would want to know who you collect. And again, I say it's not who do you collect, it's what do you collect. I personally have a few player collections, yeah. various set collections, Hall of Fame players, different sports. I have about 40 different PCs within the overall PC, which allows me to always find something that I want. But if we're giving advice to people who are looking to get into the hobby as for collecting, and they maybe don't have a favorite team or a favorite player, there's one approach to the hobby that I come back to that people have told me is their approach. Because when I'm set up at a card show as a vendor, one of the first questions I ask anyone who comes to my booth that I've never met or seen before is, how do you approach the hobby? And my favorite answer is, 
I just collect whatever catches my eye. I love that answer. Who do you collect? What do you collect? Better is how do you collect, which is what you're saying. So I think there's any number of ways. But again, the hobby has gotten so sophisticated and and the dollar amounts have gotten so far up. There's now bragging rights. In the old days, the bragging rights were what a good deal you got on something. And now the bragging rights are, look how much I paid for this. It's completely flipped. Back in the day, you'd say, I, I get, now again, you weren't trying to steal it. You weren't being fraudulent, but uh, to get a good deal on something. But to do that, you had to know what a good deal was. So you had to know what the prevailing price was. My guess is when you go to a show, what can catch your eye is not just a beautiful card, but it's a card that's priced in a way that you think, hey, I, I, I'm going to buy this because I like the card and I'm, and I'm getting it at a price that I think is favorable. Not, I'm overpaying for this because I really want it. But to do that, you have to have some years of experience and knowledge to say, I can tell this is a good deal. I understand the supply-demand equilibrium here right now, not so much the historical pricing, but you've been in it long enough to know a good deal when you see it. And that gives you an advantage. Yeah. Information is, is power, as they say. And the more you have, the better equipped you will be to know what a good deal is and maybe when to make an offer or counter offer and, and where to really draw the line as to how much you're willing to pay for something and not go above that. If the rarer the card, the more flexible I think you need to be because there may not be another opportunity to find a card like that. So you have to balance out your hardline approach with maybe I should pay an extra 10% because this may be the last time I'm going to see a copy of this card for several years. There is a, a large segment of the hobby that invests in the hobby. And, and a lot of people, myself included, we're a hybrid. I, I, I often say that, you know, I'm an investor by consequence because I've held cards for decades that have gone up in value from what would be an insignificant amount of money for me to a significant amount of money for me. So it's an investment because my option is to sell it and put that money into my household for the betterment of my family. Now I'm choosing to keep this value in cardboard because I love these cards and I'm into several of them for a good price. Is a key distinction or change in focus that you need to adopt if you're going to go from collecting to investing in the hobby? And what do you see in your travels and in your history? I think if you're a collector, you've got some extra money and you're going to buy some cards and have fun with it. If you're an investor, you probably need to have some discipline. It needs to fit in with the rest of your investment portfolio. If you've got a big mortgage, although mortgages are low interest rates now, people should be not having credit card debt <laughs> if they have a valuable portfolio of cards. They ought to take some chips off the table occasionally and sell the stuff that they think is fully priced or that they can buy back later. Once it becomes an investment, then it's an alternative investment. And most investment professionals are going to say, if it's an alternative investment, 10% of your portfolio, 20% of your net worth. And I think people just ignore that. If it's an investment, treat it as an investment and you ought to be able to with a straight face, tell your invest, your broker, your investment guy, that I'm not buying Krugerrands. I'm not buying gold. I've got tangible assets in my hockey card to the tune of whatever the valuation is. And then he or she can say, okay, then we, we don't need to do alternatives in your stock portfolio. We're going to go to the blue chip, basic, boring kinds of things that are solid because cards are always going to be speculative. There's no sure thing. So... I think the problem is they, they just don't have the same discipline. and They think, I'm an investor, I'm riding it up. When in reality, there's usually a, a sell price when you buy any stock. You buy Apple or Google or Amazon. You could say, I'm just going to ride it forever. But most people don't. Most people take their profits. 
And certainly if they had high interest rate debt, they should take some money off and do that. So treat, if you're going to say you're an investor, treat it like an investment. I think that's great advice. Be disciplined and work it into your overall investment portfolio. Not Same thing. Not, if you've no, got a mentor or you've got somebody, a wisdom figure in your life, run it by them. Say, hey, look, I've got X dollars worth of cards. And then here's how it fits in with the rest of my net worth. And the first thing the mentor might say is, are you serious? You have that many cards? But after the shock wears off and you can show that's legit, then still somebody can step back and say, okay, given that, and here's the prospects for that, but there's no sure things. Maybe you ought to rebalance your portfolio. Yeah. Yep. Great advice. What is some advice that you find yourself giving to experienced collectors in the hobby when you're at card shows? There's verbal advice and there's observational advice. Basically, if they see me at a card show for some period of time, I'm sitting there at a dollar box. Now, I don't need the money. Maybe don't even need the cards, but I enjoy that. And regardless of what I would say, what I'm doing is showing that I can enjoy the hobby without six-figure cards that I'm, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd have, I guess I'd have to have a special case to put them in, but I just, I don't want to deal with that. I, I'm buying things that no one's going to steal. And if they look through them, they'll say, there's some Dallas Cowboys in there, some Mavericks, some Rangers, some local guys, and some other eclectic kind of stuff. And it's, like you said, it's just what catches my eye. But if it's a $5 card that's available in the dollar box, I'm liable to pick it up. But 10 other people passed it by because it was just a dollar card to them. So I'm giving permission, I think, implicitly for people to say, hey, any way you want to collect is good. You don't have to compete. Like I said, I don't think I was in the top 100 collectors in the country. When I went to the card shows, I had a serious collection. I was respected. This is all before I was doing the price guide stuff. That's how I knew what stuff was worth. And I knew who to ask because I was a regular. But there were 100 guys that had better collections than I did. But I'm not thinking, oh, poor me. No, I loved it. And occasionally, like I said, with Mastro and some others that were very advanced, Robert Lifson back in the day, when you had something they wanted, and that's why they went on to be auction guys, because they had a great eye. Barry Halper, if I had something he wanted, Frank Nagy, icons. I'd occasionally have something they wanted. And that was fun. And I didn't hold them hostage or anything. It was just fun. Just a bunch of guys getting together and uh, trading and talking cards. Hobby icons. So if there's something I'm going to take away from that, it's that for people who are coming to the hobby in 2021, 2022, and you might be coming in because you're noticing that there is value, there is investment value, these are tangible alternative assets, truly assets. At the end of the day, there needs to be, I believe, collectors willing to hold these cards uh, when you are going to be ready to dispose of them, either whether you're an investor or a collector. And it's interesting that some that Dr. Beckett here, Jim Beckett, somebody who has been at the forefront of the hobby going on 40 years now with the price guys, with BGS grading, Beckett grading services and, and more, the marketplace for his old company. He's a collector still, and he's picking through dollar bins at times looking for cards that make him happy. I love when you said, Jim, you might not even need these cards, but you can't help yourself. Who needs? Nobody needs cards. It's cards. Yeah. But you're a collector. And at the end of the day, all these values that we're seeing in the hobby right now, I believe are greatly dependent on there being collectors who want them because otherwise it's just a game of hot potato and you're just moving these assets around from investor to to investor. But there has to be a reason why we love these things. I've I've moved some of my cards to other investors by going through a dollar box 
And like I said, I'm picking out anything I see that's $5. If it's a $5 card, I'm going to buy it for a buck. Okay. However, and again, this is observational. Now, although I don't show people exactly what I get, but there's a little stack of cards after every show that I made a mistake on. <laughs> that not only are they not worth five bucks, they're not worth a dollar. In fact, I wound up selling them on eBay for 10 cents each. I group them up into player lots. And so I took a loss. Now, on balance, I wouldn't keep doing it if I wasn't winning a lot more than I was losing. But it's funny. So I'm not throwing them in the trash. I'm just saying, you know what? I'm going to find a place and I'd like to sell them for a quarter. That would take a long time. I'd have to have my own quarter box. And then on an eBay, I can group a hundred of some players or some group that has some cohesion. So I'm not going to have any stress about overpicking. Right. Whereas if I were seriously collecting like I did in the seventies and buying expensive stuff, I'd be pouring over all the comps and I'd be going a lot slower and I wouldn't enjoy it as much for me. Yeah, no, fair, very fair. The man in the house of cards.